Welcome to God's Story, the narrative adaptation of the Bible. This week's chapter covers 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Chapter 36, Paul's Letters to Corinthia. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, originally from Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an intelligent scholar who knew the story of Jesus and spoke passionately and accurately about him. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him speak, they invited him into their home to talk about God with him more thoroughly. When Apollos wanted to go to Corinth, some others encouraged him and wrote to the followers there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was very helpful because he was able to effectively prove that Jesus was their savior using the words of the prophets whenever a Jewish opponent argued with him. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul began his third missionary journey by returning to Ephesus, with Timothy and Titus joining him. He asked the followers there, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they said, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, then what kind of baptism did you have, Paul asked? The kind done by John the Baptist. Paul said, John's baptism was for repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who would come after him, Jesus. When the believers heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came to them. Paul stayed in Ephesus for a few years. During this time, Claudius was poisoned by one of his wives and succeeded by her son, whom Claudius had adopted, Nero Caesar. While Paul was in Ephesus, he received troubling news about the church in Corinth. He sent Titus to them with two letters in response. To my dear friends in Corinth, along with anyone else who was called on Jesus to save them, I offer you a prayer of blessing. I always thank God for you, because through Jesus you're so well-spoken and knowledgeable about your faith. I'm confident that God will keep you strong until the very end. I've heard that some of you have been arguing since I left over who you follow. Some say that you're my disciples, others that they're Jesus' disciples, others say they're disciples of others who have spoken with you, like Apollos. It's important that you not divide yourselves in this way. Believing in the story of Jesus, no matter who tells it, that's all that matters. This story seems foolish to those who refuse to believe it, but for us, we know it's the story of God's power. How can anyone, no matter how wise they claim to be, stand against that? When we tell the story of Jesus, it's a stumbling block among both Jews and Gentiles. The Jews who refuse to believe do so because they haven't seen enough signs of God's power. The Greek-educated Gentiles who refuse to believe do so because they are unconvinced by the wisdom of our words. But God's weakness is stronger than humanity's strength, and God's foolishness is wiser than the greatest human scholar. Not many of you can claim that you were especially wise or powerful when you became followers of Jesus, but you were chosen to bring shame on those who rely only on their own minds or strength. God chose the humble so that no one can boast. It's because of God that you have been saved, and that is where our wisdom comes from. That's been true for me. I didn't come to you arrogant in my knowledge. All I knew was the story of Jesus. I came to you with humility, but also with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not to say that there's no wisdom in the story of Jesus. The wisdom we speak of, it's not wisdom the way the world sees it. If they understood God's wisdom, they would not have killed Jesus. 
But our wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit, which knows God's thoughts. Like your spirit knows your thoughts. You have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you to understand the wisdom of God. That's why those who don't believe can't understand. Though you have been adopted into Jesus' family, you're still like infants. And the words that I give you, they were like milk. You still aren't ready for solid food. When you argue with each other the way that you have, doesn't that show that you're acting the same as those who don't yet believe the story of Jesus? I mean, who are Paul and Apollos? We're both just servants doing the job given to us by God. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. But God is the one who made it grow. Okay, another way of looking at it. I'm the one who built the foundation. The foundation is the story of Jesus. And then others come along and they build on the foundation that's already been laid. The quality of their labor will be tested over time. And if it survives, then you know it was good work. You are God's temple. You're sacred because the Holy Spirit lives in you, just like the presence of God once filled the temple in Jerusalem. Treat people like me as servants of Jesus who have been trusted with the mysteries that God has revealed to us. Those who have been trusted with something need to prove that they have been trustworthy. I don't care if you or anyone else judges me. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear because it is God that judges me. You think you have everything all figured out. You act like God has elevated your status. I mean, I wish that that were true for you because then it would be true for us too. Instead, we apostles, we're put on display like those condemned to die in the Colosseum. We're thought to be foolish because of Jesus, but you, oh, you act so wise. We are called weak, but you act so strong. The people honor you while we are dishonored. We are hungry, thirsty. We wear rags. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. We endure all kinds of mistreatment with kindness. <laughs> Honestly, we're like garbage. Look, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad, but it's a warning. Spoken out of love, like a father for his children. And I've become like a father to you. So you should try to follow my example. That's why I'm sending Timothy to you, whom I also love like a son, to remind you of what the life of a follower of Jesus looks like. Some of you have become arrogant and think that I won't return. I hope to return as soon as God allows it. When I come, I'm going to speak with these arrogant people myself. So would you prefer I come because I need to discipline you or that I come to you gently and lovingly? I've been hearing that someone in your church has been living a lifestyle so sinful that even the libertine Romans wouldn't dream of it. And you're proud. You should be in tears. This person shouldn't even be allowed to be a part of your church if they aren't willing to acknowledge the sin and ask for forgiveness. I may not be there, but I'm with you in spirit. And I'm telling you, it's right for you to ask this man to leave your church if they're unrepentant. Hopefully, he'll be saved from himself before it's too late. And by the way, I'm not saying that you shouldn't associate with sinners. You'd have to leave the whole world to do that. But you shouldn't associate with people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but live sinful lives that they refuse to acknowledge. It isn't our business to judge people who are not in our church, but those who claim to be followers and are a part of our church should be held accountable for their actions. If you have a disagreement 
with another follower of Jesus? Why would you go before an ungodly judge for a decision instead of your church? One day we will judge the world. In the meantime, you should be able to handle these small matters. The fact that you're taking each other to court means you've already been defeated. Wouldn't it have been better to just allow yourself to be wronged? Instead, you wrong someone else. You won't be living in God's kingdom if your life is full of wrongdoing. You might think that you have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial for you to do. And sometimes what you do ends up controlling you. Remember, your body is not meant to mindlessly pursue pleasure. It's meant to pursue God. It was Jesus' body that God brought back to life, and he will do the same for us. Whenever you're thinking of doing something, consider your connection to Jesus. Your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. You are not your own master anymore. You were bought at a great price. So honor God, your master, with your bodies. If you're married, stay married. Honor your marriage covenant. If you aren't married, that's good too. Stay that way. Unless you feel like you will sin if you don't get married. Unmarried people can be free of the connections of their spouse and better focused on how to please God. Don't feel like becoming a follower of Jesus means that you have to change something about your status. If you don't have the mark of Abraham, don't feel like you need to get it. If you're a slave who's become a follower, don't let that trouble you. But if you can earn your freedom, you should. You might be a slave in this world, but God has made you free in his eyes. And those of us who were born free, we've become slaves to Jesus. I know that there's been concern about whether you can eat food that was sacrificed to an idol. The God the idol represents isn't real. So if you can eat with a clear conscience, go ahead. But some people can't. They can't get past the fact that the food was sacrificed to a false god. So they're uncomfortable eating that food. In that case, they shouldn't eat it because it would be wrong for them. Also, make sure that if you feel free to eat food sacrificed to idols, that you don't do it in front of those who feel they can't because it might lead them to sin. Don't let your freedoms become a prison for someone who's weaker than you. I would give up all meat if I thought it was causing a follower to sin. Though I'm free and I belong to no one, I'm willing to live like a slave to everyone to convince as many as possible to become a follower of Jesus. To the Jews who live under the laws of our ancestors, I follow the law, even though I'm not bound to it. To those who do not live under that law, I do not need to follow the law, even though I am bound to the law of Jesus." I become all things for all people so that I'm doing everything I can to save as many as I can. In a race, there are many runners, but there's only one winner. Run your own race so that you win. Runners train hard for a race where they hope to win a prize that will eventually be gone. But we train to win a race where the prize lasts forever. Don't forget, our ancestors literally passed through the Red Sea, and followed a cloud created by God. They ate miraculous bread and drank miraculous water, which represents Jesus. But God was not pleased with many of them because their hearts remained set on evil. 
We shouldn't test God like they did. Consider these things a warning. Trust in God to provide a way out for you when you're tempted. You feel that you have the right to do anything, but not everything is good for you to do. I've already said that. You don't need to worry about what you eat or who you eat with, but whatever you do, you should do it for God and don't let your actions cause anyone else to fall away. I'm concerned that when you meet as a church, you're doing more harm than good because you're divided. When you get together in the church to eat, it's not like Jesus intended. Some of you are getting drunk while others are remaining hungry. Do you despise God's church? What am I supposed to say about this? I certainly am not going to praise you for it. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples. He told them to remember his sacrifice every time they ate together. Breaking bread is like how his body was broken. The wine is like his blood poured out. So when you disrespect a meal with your fellow believers, you disrespect Jesus' sacrifice. You should think hard before you eat this meal about whether your heart is in the right place. Now, concerning various giftings that you all have. There are lots of different gifts, but they are all from the same Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of work, but only one God. Your wisdom, knowledge, faith, ability to do miracles or prophecy, they are from the Holy Spirit for common good. It's just like how a body is both unified, but made up of lots of different parts. We're all unified through Jesus. Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free. I mean, would an ear say, I'm not an eye, so I don't belong in a body? If the whole body was eyes, then how would it hear? An eye can't say to an ear, I don't need you. God has made the body exactly as it is for a reason. So there should be no division in our body. It doesn't matter what I accomplish. Miracles, prophecies, faith, charity, service. If I don't have love, I'm no better than some clanging gong. Listen, love, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Love isn't proud. It honors others. It isn't selfish. It's slow to anger. It's quick to forgive. Love delights in the truth and not in evil. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love, love never fails. We see these things like looking into a cloudy mirror, but a time will come when we will see face to face. Right now, I understand in part, but eventually I will understand fully. All that matters is faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. Let me remind you of the story of Jesus that I told you, the story that rescued you. Jesus died as a sacrifice to pay for your sins. He was buried. Three days later, God brought him back to life. 500 people saw him alive again. Even I saw him eventually because, to be honest, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even feel like I deserve the title because of how I attacked Jesus' church, but God saved even me. So why are some of you arguing that there's no return from death? If that's true, then Jesus didn't return from the dead and his story is useless to you. And I'm a liar. If we're only following Jesus' teachings about how to live, but our sins haven't been paid for, boy, we deserve pity. But Jesus was brought back to life. Death 
came to us all through a man, Adam. Freedom from death also comes through a man, Jesus. He will rule all creation and destroy all of his enemies, even death itself. Why would I risk my life every day for a message if it wasn't true? When you plant a seed, it has to die before new life can spring from it. The body that is buried is that seed, but it rises as something that can never die. Being buried, it's a dishonor to the body, but being raised again, that's glory. Being buried is the body at its weakest, but being raised again is the body in its power. It's buried as a physical body, but raised as a spiritual body. The first man, Adam, was a man made from dust. The second man, Jesus, was a man who came from spirit. Your first life, you're like Adam. Your second life, you're like Jesus. A natural body that dies cannot enter God's kingdom of spirit. So be strong. Let nothing move you. Fully commit to working for God because you know that's all worth it. I will try to return to you soon as I travel through Macedonia. Hopefully I can stay a while. But I'm going to stay here in Ephesus until Pentecost. Listen, take good care of my friend Timothy. The church in Asia Minor, as well as Priscilla and Aquila, they send their love and they think about you often. I send this letter to you with my love. May Jesus bless you, Paul. After a few months, word from Corinth reached him, so he decided to send them the second letter. To the church in Corinth and all the followers of Jesus in that area, blessings and peace to you from God the Father and his Son Jesus, our Savior. I praise God, the Father of compassion, who comforts us when we're troubled, so that we can share that same comfort with those around us that need it. This helps us to learn patience when we suffer. Listen, I want to be honest with you. I have experienced some tough times in Asia Minor. It was more than I could handle, and honestly, I would have rather died. But this was all to teach me not to rely on myself, but on God. He has rescued us. He'll do so again. In my heart, I know that especially with you, I have been sincere and I've been honest. Not by my own wisdom, but only with God's help. I initially wanted to visit you again, but I've decided not to because I think it would be painful for both of us. I wrote to you previously so that you would bring me joy again instead of distress because I love you all so much, whether you know it or not. It's important to forgive those who have done wrong because they've paid their debt. Show them you still love them. We forgive because Jesus forgave us. Don't let Satan outsmart you. We spread the aroma of Jesus to everyone we meet. We don't do it to turn a profit, but because we are called to speak by God. Whenever anyone asks to see my accomplishments, I just point them to you. You're like my letter of recommendation written on the hearts of everyone who sees you. This gives me confidence, not because of what I've done, but because of what God has done. When Moses came down the mountain with God's law written in stone, his face was so bright that the people couldn't look at him. How much greater is our light when we bring the story of Jesus to people? And just like Moses' face was covered with a veil, those who cling to the old law have a veil over their hearts that only Jesus can remove. And with the veil removed, we grow more like Jesus.
The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, so they can't see Jesus for who he is. But because God had mercy on us, we don't get discouraged. We're pressed, but we're not crushed. We may be mistreated, but we're not abandoned. Even when we're knocked down, we're not broken. We carry the death of Jesus inside of us so that we are able to show the life of Jesus. Our problems, they seem light. They'll only last a moment, and they're bringing us invaluable eternal glory. We know that if our earthly house is destroyed, God has made us an eternal home in heaven. And oh, we ache for it, and we try to persuade others of the truth. We are Jesus' ambassadors, spreading his message of reconciliation. No matter what happens to me, the beatings, the imprisonment, the riots, the hard work, the sleepless nights, the hunger, the dishonor, being called a liar, being treated like a stranger, I still stay patient, kind, pure, loving, and honest. I hold the power of God like a sword of righteousness in my hands. Even though I'm sad, I rejoice. Even though I'm poor, I make others rich. Even though I own nothing, I have everything. Listen, I'm sorry that my last letter made you sad, but at the same time, I'm happy that it led you to change your ways. That's what God wanted from you. That kind of sadness, that's life-giving. It comes with no regrets. I also wanted to tell you about the generosity I saw from the church in Macedonia. Even though they are poor, they joyfully gave beyond what seemed possible. They begged to be a part of God's work in this way. They gave to God first with their hearts and then to my work. Since you all already excel in faith and speech and knowledge and love, I, I want to encourage you to try to improve in this area, giving. I'm not going to force you to, but I hope that you'll remember that for your benefit, Jesus gave up everything. A year ago, you were one of the most joyfully generous churches. I only want the burden to be shared evenly among the churches according to what everyone is capable of. I'm an apostle. I've seen Jesus with my own eyes. I shared his story with you. Even if others don't think of me as an, as an apostle, surely you do. For those who judge me, I have to ask, don't I have a right to food and drink, to work for a living? Do soldiers have to spend their own money on supplies? Does a farmer not eat his own crops? You're my field, and I rely on your support. I've never pushed for that. I would put up with anything if it helps me spread the message of Jesus, which I do freely. But even though I'm free, I make myself a slave to everyone to win over as many as possible. I've talked about a race before. In a race, there are many runners, but only one gets the prize. So live your life like you're trying to get the prize. Train your bodies and minds. Get them under control. Athletes do it for a prize that will fade, but we do it for a prize that lasts forever. Even though I write to you boldly, I have always tried to be mild with you in person. And so, with humility and gentleness that can only come from Jesus, I hope that when I visit you again, I don't have to be as tough with you as I am with those who still live by the world's standards. We don't fight our battles like the rest of the world. Our weapons are made by God to demolish spiritual fortresses. We will destroy arguments and pretensions that go against the word of God and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the authority God gave me to build you up. 
I hope that as your faith continues to grow, it will increase my sphere of influence so I can share the story of Jesus with even more people in your area. I care so much for you all. If you'll indulge my use of metaphor for a moment, I want to be able to present you like a bride to Jesus, your groom. But I worry that just like Adam's bride was deceived by Satan, that you will somehow be led astray from your devotion to your Savior. When someone came to you and told you about a Jesus that is different from the one that I told you about, you too readily accepted that teaching. I may not be as well trained at speaking as these people, but because of my knowledge, I am not inferior to them. I shared Jesus with you for free, counting on the generosity of other churches to provide my needs. I was never a burden to you. I'm proud of that. And I will keep working this way to undercut those who falsely claim to be apostles, but who are full of deceit. Even Satan pretended to be an angel of light. And it does not surprise me that his servants do the same. They will get what they deserve in the end. I'm no fool, but indulge me in a little foolishness, if you will, for just a moment. I know this isn't how God would talk, but whatever anyone else can boast about, I can boast more. Again, I don't really, but indulge me for a moment. If someone boasts that they are a Jew, so am I. If they boast they serve Jesus, I do it more. I've worked harder. I've been enslaved. I've been beaten more nine times. I've been in danger of drowning, danger from bandits, danger from mobs of fellow Jews. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country. I've gone without sleep, food, or water. On top of all that, I feel the pressure of caring for all the churches I visit. If I'm going to boast, I'll boast in things that show I'm weak. And God knows I'm not lying about any of this. Should I keep boasting? Even though it doesn't really get me anywhere. I know a man who 14 years ago was transported, whether it was just his body or his spirit, only God knows, but he was transported into heaven. He heard things there that he is incapable of explaining. I'll boast about someone like that. But as for myself, I'll only boast about my weakness. This is to keep me from becoming arrogant and remember to rely on the power of Jesus. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. I'm planning on visiting you again, and I will not be a burden to you. I don't want your money. I want your hearts. I would give everything I have for you. If I love you more, will you love me less? Does it seem like I'm trying to defend myself? <sighs> what matters to me is that you be strengthened in your beliefs. I'm afraid that when I come to you, you won't be where I want you to be. I'm afraid that I'm going to see disharmony and jealousy and anger and selfishness and lying and gossip and arrogance. Test yourselves. See if Jesus lives in you. And if you doubt my authority from God, go ahead. Test me too. I'm not going to fail. I pray that you will do no more wrong, that you will be strong and fully restored to God. This is why I write these things when I'm far from you, so that when I visit with you, I can focus on encouragement, not harsh discipline. Celebrate, encourage each other, get along, live peacefully. Everyone here sends their love. May the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul. Thank you so much for listening, as always. This is Matt. You can get a transcript at mattsgodstory.blogspot.com, M-A-T-T-S-G-O-D-S-S-T-O-R-Y 
www.blogspot.com or you can shoot me an email at mattsgodstory at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. God bless and stay safe.